2: I'm Jason
0: Kander. I'm Robbie Gupta. And I'm Grace Lynch.
2: And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Already people are excited because they heard Grace's voice and they're like, ooh, it's going to be a good one. So uh, what have you all been up to?
3: There's no Bill's game this week, so I want to ask you, Grace, When your team, the Seattle Seahawks, traded away Russell Wilson, I don't know if you remember what I texted you. Do you remember?
0: You texted me that it was ultimately going to be a good thing, and I wasn't in a place where I could hear that information. And I stand by the fact that I was at a phase of mourning in which I was just not in a place to hear it. Have I enjoyed how the season seems to be playing out thus far with our our relative trade-off of quarterback? Yeah, I am. I, I don't wish ill for Russell. I still, you know hope that he has a very fulfilling life outside of football.
2: All right. Well, so I think the point of this question from Robbie was, aren't I insightful about football? Yeah, okay.
0: No, you want to know what the real— You get it. You want to know what the point is? Congratulations.
3: The other point of this was to get out ahead of any critique that we think that football talk is only for guys. You know, I'm trying to see around these corners. Yeah, no,
0: it's not. All of my texts from my mom are about the Seahawks. (laughs)
3: <laughs> um, all right then. Well- there's the third point. Actually, I'm not gonna. We have to talk about Keep this going. a little bit longer. Keep going. There's, there was one person on Twitter that really doesn't like. There's probably many people out there that really don't like that we open the show with football. And so I just wanted to make sure for that listener, if they're still around, that we haven't forgotten about you. Even though the Bills didn't play, I, I thought about you this week and made sure we would start so, with football.
2: So you're just trolling this one. Yeah. I'm I'm
3: training them. We're training an army of people to go out there and deal with the trolls from the right wing. Look, it's like it's like Tom Brady says to his team when he's yelling at them. Like, if this is if you can't handle this, you're not gonna be able to handle the pressure of the game. And that's if you can't handle my trolling audience, you can't can't handle the pressure of our politics. You know,
0: I like thinking of Ravi as troll training. That's actually a really helpful way for me to compartmentalize you in my
3: mind. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody's going to be more prepared than our bakers from Kansas out there. They're going to (laughs) be out there. They're prepared for whatever comes their way. I'm thinking about you.
2: All right. Exciting news. Uh, In honor of election night, we're doing an election night box giveaway. You can enter to win on Twitter by following at Majority54. And Wonder Media's account, uh, which is at WMN.media, and retweeting the pinned tweet. Prize includes at-home cocktail kits, leather coasters, playing cards, and early access to Majority 54 and Wonder Media Network merch from the new collection launching this Friday, October 28th, which includes very fun grabbing ore hats. Stay tuned the next few weeks as we have a few more election night activities in store that we're excited to share with you. All right, we are on to talking trash. We have a couple of Ron DeSantis items Ravi, you go ahead and take away this first one.
3: I mean, this is a fun one. This is some memoir by somebody who went to school, uh, Yale University, with Ron DeSantis. Tucked into that memoir was an anecdote from this classmate that Ron DeSantis had a test for uh, the young ladies that he went on dates with back then, where he would mispronounce Thai, which anybody who's been to New Haven knows some great Thai restaurants in, in the city of New Haven. But he would say thigh... And he would purposely try to see if his date would correct him. And if the date corrected him, then uh, he, kn- he would know that, that that person wasn't for him because he doesn't want people correcting him, I guess. I thought this was just an incredible, just in one anecdote, you know, tells us a lot about who Ron DeSantis is. I have questions.
2: My first question is, what is the context of this? Because if someone tells me that they want to go to a Thai restaurant, my first thought is not a judgmental <laughs> one. It's not a like, oh, this person's an idiot. My first thought is that must be a kind of restaurant that I'm not familiar with. And so I'm <laughs> going to ask a clarifying question. Like, I'm going to be like, do you mean Thai? And then I guess Ron DeSantis won't take me to that restaurant. I don't know what happens after that.
0: See, I see it as kind of mutually beneficial because I'm definitely the woman who'd be like, do you mean Thai? I think that that might be pronounced Thai food, actually. And then
2: (laughs) if he's not interested because I'm going
0: to very, yeah, thoughtfully respond to in a normal, I would argue, way, then we've both acknowledged that, like, oh, if you don't want me to correct something as blatantly wrong as that, then I certainly don't want to be with you. So I actually (laughs) think that this was a gift to women, like, en masse, that they didn't have to... Spend more time with someone who wouldn't want to be corrected for something so petty.
3: This does remind me of this movie, Bronx Tale. I gave you both a homework assignment. There's this scene, if you ever see Bronx Tale, amazing movie. And there's it's all about this kid and his relationship with this mobster. And there's this scene that I sent you, you guys where the kid is receiving advice from this guy, Sonny, who's the mobster. And he's basically saying, this is how you know the person is the one.
1: You give her my test. You give her the door test. What's the door test? All right, listen to me. You pull her right where she is, right? Before you get out of the car, you lock both doors. Then you get out of the car, you walk over to her. You bring her over to the car. You take out the key, put in the lock, open the door for her. Then you let her get in. Then you close the door for her. Then you walk around the back of the car and you look through the rear window. If she doesn't reach over and lift up that button for you, so you can get in, dump her.
3: And I'm like, wow, this is just Ron DeSantis' version of that. I would I would love to recreate that scene. Um, somebody on the internet should do that, but with Ron DeSantis. All right, there's All right. one
2: more Ron DeSantis yeah, item.
3: We need more DeSantis. Yeah. All right,
2: because we were debating which one of these to do, and, and then I was like, well, we can't not do this one. So uh, you had sent us this article in the New York Times uh, about apparently Ron DeSantis was at uh, a game at, at Lambeau Field, which is in Green Bay, And the guy who's running for governor of Wisconsin is with him. And and this all comes from the guy running for governor of Wisconsin, a story he told, where he asked DeSantis, DeSantis, like, how do you spell Lambo? And he's texting. He's like, who are you texting? He says, I'm texting Tom Brady. And so the whole point of the story is, of course, Ron DeSantis texts with Tom Brady. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to make sure that the many fans of Tom Brady, who also are listeners of Majority 54, do not forget that Tom Brady is a huge Republican yeah, and has been, was like one of the first people, like he had the MAGA hat in his locker you know, in 2016 and my favorite thing about that is like Like we were long past Super Tuesday and they asked, uh, it was like, I think we were coming up on the actual election and they asked Tom Brady about it. he was like, look, man, like I'm busy. We'll talk about it after Super Tuesday or whatever. Like he has no idea what anything's called (laughs) and I'm not sure he actually voted. But then I didn't even know this part. I guess, you know, he had said all these nice things about Trump and then uh, Giselle, who, you know, was like- Yeah, she was like, No, 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 no. no. And then when the Patriots went to the White House after they won the Super Bowl and they show up in 2017, he didn't go because Giselle's like, No. So uh, all this is my
3: way. Yeah, and she's out of the picture now, which means he's going to go full MAGA now, is where we're going with this. Exactly
2: what I was going to say.
3: Belichick, you know, do you remember when Trump read Belichick's, like, basically, like, effusive letter out loud? It was, like, so uncomfortable. I forgot about that. Yeah. Look, Kansas. Might have lost that entire state in the first minute of this podcast. Now we're losing all of New England. But look, there's plenty of America out there left.
0: I think New England has a chance to turn around because you still have time to be like, wait a minute, am I going to go for the guy whose judgment said, I'm going to leave Giselle, maybe the most beautiful woman to ever exist (laughs) on the planet, to go eight and nine one last time and text with Ron DeSantis? Like, that's more appealing to him? Like, you, you can choose to make a better call. You can say, I would have chosen Giselle, and you can just walk right on out of this situation. Distance yourself.
2: What an awesome own... Like, that's... I just want to finish there. Grace, that's like... I kind of want to steal that and tweet it. Like, (laughs) Tom Brady's judgment. One of the most beautiful women on on the planet, who's also the mother of his children.
3: Yeah. If you can't tell, we are definitely trying to avoid the substance of today's podcast... Uh in part because uh there's some tough stuff happening out there in the world. Uh, let's start with the Fetterman Oz debate. I watched it last night. I want to be careful here, but I also want to be honest with our audience. I told our audience previously that I thought the the control over the Senate could be at stake and decided it during this debate. So using that standard, I would say this was not a good night for Democrats or or for Fetterman. He struggled. And we know why he struggled; he's recovering from a stroke, but we have to deal with the reality that this is going to be a challenging closing stretch for that campaign with voters. I'll kick it to the t u for impressions here because it i it was really hard it was it was really hard to watch, and I know it must have been incredibly difficult for him and his campaign,
0: yeah, it was really challenging to watch. For a couple of reasons. One is that you're watching someone who's clearly still grappling with the ramifications of a really serious health event, really put themselves out there in a vulnerable way and do something that most recent stroke survivors are not being asked to do. So there was, I think, a moment of just like a pang of empathy, I think, that we all felt for just like watching someone who clearly is struggling. I think where my frustration comes that I wish that I wish would have been better in a lot of the coverage of Fetterman is a better understanding of, like, the symptoms he's experiencing are pretty common for post-stroke folks. But I think there is a really a lack of detailed explanation as to, like, how that relates to actual cognitive function. You know, that it really is just kind of, like, the equivalent of, like, really trying to get your hand to make a fist and, like, there's just a communication that's not making it happen. But you still understand the concept of making your hand a fist. And I think that there's just... Something about watching him where, like, I wish that that was made clearer, that, like, it's not that he, like, lacks the cognitive ability to process and explain himself, but it's just, like, the practical application of this is so hard and our brains are so complex. That all aside, it was really painful and challenging to watch, and I think for undecided voters is not going to be persuasive in terms of being favorable for Fetterman at all. I will also say I think Oz really warmed up as the night went on. But early on, I also found him rather incoherent and uh, challenging to follow. So it was just a pretty abysmal evening, I would say, all the way around.
3: Grace, because I know you watched the full thing. Did you see Oz's face like the first couple of minutes? This to me was imprinted through my brain. I almost could not sleep last night. The shit-eating grin on Oz's face As he heard Fetterman, it was I honestly I wanted to reach through my television. It was so infuriating just to look on his face when he was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is what I'm dealing with tonight.
0: I didn't clock that moment, but I'm, I'm not surprised. I was a little surprised by how kind of just like petty and knee jabby both of them were. Um, I felt like a lot of the debate was not substantive at all. And a lot of it was personal attacks. I did think that Oz's line towards the end of like, oh, I must not have said that clear enough for you, didn't land well and probably didn't earn him any favors. But on the whole, there was also something to be said for the fact that he, you know, he didn't use kid gloves at all, I would say.
2: How much do we think these debates are really going to matter? Because like, they're targeted at this point, like what we're talking about are undecided voters. And both of you watched the entire thing. I, as I've mentioned before, Diana's been out of town and I'm outnumbered by the kids. So I've watched clips of it and that's it. I have a hard time imagining that someone who is undecided about which of these two people to vote for at this point is somebody who is also going to take the time to watch the entire debate. And if they are, I have to think that's a very small group of people. So it's probably going to come down to, you know, the narrative from the debate and possibly some of the clips from the debate. Before but that is even, a
3: poison. Yeah. But that is well, a poison.
2: Yeah. Well that's that's what I want to get to. It's like before we even get to how is that going to play, I have a broader question here, which is how did this I think it's probably a good thing, but how did we get to a place where the debates seem to be so crucial in these Senate races and governors races again? Because it felt like that used to matter a lot, like when we were kids. And then we went through a long period where the debates really didn't seem to matter other than in the presidential race. I Like in 2016, when I ran for the Senate, we prepped like hell for uh, the debate. And, and at that point, we had three debates on the schedule. And then we did the debate. And I'll be honest, like, I did very well. And then our opponent canceled his appearances at all the future debates. And it didn't matter. Like, the, there wasn't... It we didn't see any move in the needle because nobody saw it, and so I'm just yeah. wondering what happened here. It's yeah, good, we, I think.
3: We did a segment on last debate uh, a couple episodes ago, just about the history of how this has changed and like the big picture is there. There are fewer debates now than there have ever been before in competitive Senate races, and part of that is because of like the standard Trump set when he canceled the debate in the RNC preemptively canceling the next wave of debates. So it's kind of given permission structure. But as we talked about uh, with the Arizona gubernatorial race, it's not just a clean Republican Democratic story. And I agree that generally speaking, the debates you show up, a lot of times nobody really cares. Do I think like the the Mandela Barnes, Ron Johnson debate is necessarily going to tilt that race? No. But I do think in coffee shops, all across and water coolers all across Pennsylvania, there are people being like, did you see that? Did you see this clip? I do think that's what people are saying. And uh, I have like a staff member, for example, who grew up in Pennsylvania who said that she was bombarded by text messages from friends yesterday uh, during the debate and afterwards about it.
0: I also think part of that shift that you're identifying is because post-Trump politics is becoming much more of a spectator sport again, and a lot of the candidates that are running are... Like, the point of them is that they're outrageous. Oz, Herschel Walker, Kerry Lake, I mean, they all kind of fit into this mode of flashy little substance. And I think that that means that watching them perform is is garnering more attention. And in many instances, that's probably going to be beneficial towards Democrats unless we have, you know, candidates that aren't as strong or a candidate that's experiencing some like pretty hefty side effects from a stroke.
2: I wouldn't assume that that's going to be beneficial to us because here's the thing about people like Oz, like Kerry Lake, like Trump frankly is that they are people who have been in broadcasting a long time. And and that's the thing is that though they they lack substance, they have none, there and we talked about this a little bit last week, there is something about a level of comfort with being in front of a camera and performing, you know. And so that worries me, right? Because we are, we're the nerds. Like, like we're like, no, 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 get, like, let's let's run the people who, they pull the levers of government and know what they're doing. And so I worry about that.
3: Yeah, I think, I'm going to pull two quotes out from what happened that I think are going to be two quotes that are going to be making their waves around the internet uh, in Pennsylvania and elsewhere in the, the closing stretch of this campaign. On the downside, this is Frederman, obviously a lot of quotes from him not speaking clearly. I think the the worst of them was this fracking answer he gave. Uh,
1: I, I I do support fracking, and I don't I don't. I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Oh. Now he's
3: trying to he's trying to I, collect I mean, I his feel words. I terrible for him. Yeah, he was trying to collect his words, but obviously they're going to w- weaponize that. That's the downside. There are a lot of clips like that on on our side. There was a clip of Oz. I want women, doctors, local
1: political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves.
3: Saying I want women, doctors, and local political leaders to be the ones to decide uh, essentially like whether women could have an abortion or something. It was like a really awkward, weird phrasing.
2: See, but here's the thing about that, because I watched the longer version of that clip. And I I agree. I mean, we should play that clip all over the place. But what Oz is doing that is smart, that, you know, seems to be his way of uh, like mitigating this liability for himself is he is quite plainly coming out against a national ban. What he was trying to do, and he did it, you know, he fumbled it there. But what he was trying to do was say, I am not for the federal government having any say in this at all. And that's like, if you're in Pennsylvania... That's how you win this race. If you're Fetterman, is you make the case that the that their senator would go there and would vote for a national ban. Be, and why is why does that matter? Well, because to my knowledge, Pennsylvania is a place that, despite having a Republican legislature, isn't in danger of outlawing abortion, given the fact that they have a Democratic governor. So, Pennsylvanians who are voting on that, they might be thinking, Ah, well, you know, if he's not going to mess with the national ban, he can't do anything about the state stuff. So it's not going to affect things here. That's clearly what Oz was trying to do, and we have to make sure he's not successful. And because, like, I don't believe him. Like, he's going to go there, and he's going to do what the Republicans do.
3: Well, it, and they, the judges, right? Like, obviously, we, we as right. Democrats, need to be more comfortable talking about and connecting the dots on these judges. All right. Well, that is going to be a tough race, and it, I think something dramatic is going to have to happen in the next two weeks for the Fetterman campaign to find its footing. Stranger things have happened in campaigns, but that is essentially was essentially a 50-50 race heading into that debate. So we have to assume that we're behind at this point, and so we're going to watch out for that. And I think that sets the stage for where we are right now in the battle for the Senate and the U.S. House.
2: If you need the news, but also need to feel smarter and calmer, then you need to get in Andy Slavitt's bubble. Andy is a former White House advisor and the ultimate outsider's insider. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Andy offers his access to leading experts. Join Andy for discussions on COVID, gun violence, climate change, and more. Uh, I subscribe to this. I've been a guest on it. I think it's a great show. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: So every morning I wake up, and I go for a walk but before I do that I mix in my athletic greens AG1 and take it with me on my walk and it's basically I get to walk around lower manhattan as the sun is coming up it's beautiful sipping my athletic greens AG1 and what I love about that is I've now replaced coffee which is what I used to drink first thing in the morning and you know I love coffee but it can dehydrate you and it also doesn't give you anywhere near the kind of nutrients you need to have a successful day. And AG1 from Athletic Greens basically does it all for you. It helps support better sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity, alertness. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with this convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in water every day and that's it. You don't need a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. What I love is that they have a special offer. They're going to be giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Five thirty-eight. I'm watching the odds get closer and closer and closer to fifty-fifty of whether the Democrats will retain the Senate. I wouldn't be surprised if we were under fifty by the time the election comes around. And Nate Cohn in the New York Times had a quick write-up where he had some sort of you know hair-raising things to say, where he was like, "I could see this being Democrat. You know, a difference of two points in a couple races could be Democrats netting a seat or." getting wiped out in the Senate. you know, It's it's that tight in a number of races. And he was saying, this is pre-debate, current polling has a slightly ahead with Fetterman, uh, with Walker, uh, and with Kelly. And if we just held those three, then we hold the Senate. Obviously, we just talked about Fetterman. Warnock is actually trending in a good direction. Arizona's tightening. We're just in, I would say, dicey territory right now. And I think this is a good time to just step back and say how are we feeling (laughs) i have an eye twitch that has returned and i just want to be honest i try to get on this podcast and be like pumping our people up but i am unhelpfully anxious about this election right now
2: uh look same um but here's where i was two years ago which is like we're not going to get the senate and then we just like you know ran hard ran through the tape and we got the senate you know we're in the same place like we have to keep in mind the fact that it is a midterm election where we hold the white house and we 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 have the senate because of the vice president it is a 50 50 senate there's really no world where we are supposed to be able to hold the senate right like so if we do even i don't care what the 538 you know prediction has been or how high it's gone in percentage chance like we shouldn't get Suckered into thinking that we're supposed to, we're not supposed to. We were the underdog. We should just fight like the underdog. And if we hold the Senate awesome, it's been hard for me to see how that's the likely scenario the whole time.
3: One thing I like about what you just said is that I'm so used to us heading into these elections confident, right? The last few were like, oh, yeah, we're going to pick up whatever. And we wind up doing okay, but we don't wind up winning as much as we think we should. This is one where we're actually coming in and we're like, well, we're actually expecting some bad stuff and hoping for the best and fighting for, for the best, you know.
0: Something else that I think is playing into the general feel of the landscape is that there have been much fewer polls this midterm season than there have been in the past. And the polls that have been done, there's been an increase in like general ballot ones, where it's like, do you just pick like any general Republican or Democratic candidate and less race-specific polls? And in addition, the ones that are being done tend to be done by partisan organizations. So the information that we have is decreased from years past, and that's largely in response to the increased inaccuracy of polls that we've seen over the last couple of years and the fact that, like, polling is just getting harder and harder because people don't pick up their phones and it's getting more expensive, la, la, la. So I think that that on some level is contributing to our sense of the landscape that, like, things feel less clear and more extreme.
2: On the one hand, it's a midterm election where we hold the White House, so we're supposed to lose seats. On the other hand, it's a midterm election; it's going to come down to turnout. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. Like we talk a lot about persuading these, uh, you know, undecided voters, but it's a midterm election. There's not that many undecided voters who are going to vote. Like that's the truth of it, right? It, it, what it really comes down to is, are we going to get more of our people out than they're going to get? Are our people more? pissed off and or concerned about what will happen, then their people are pissed off. Like That's what gives me some sense of optimism is that we have some control over that. Like We can work on mobilizing uh, the people in our lives to go vote, uh, because that's ultimately what it's going to come down to in a midterm.
3: I agree. And I think this is just, we've said it many times on this podcast, and this is as good a moment to remind ourselves and our listeners, control what you could control worry about what you can control, do something about it. And I think for me, I'm just over the border of Pennsylvania, which is where I'll be heading this weekend and knock some doors, play my part. And I think for our listeners, that's all you can do is play your part. And, you know, hopefully when we look back, we'll say, all right, this was the urgency we needed, right? We, We didn't head into this race complacent in any way. And this pushed us to do everything we possibly could to maximize our chances. So we're talking about messaging the voters about the importance of judges, and we've had some federal judges the past week uh, give us some material to work with uh, and some rather frustrating and puzzling rulings. We had three in this past week, and I'll just click them off. Like We don't have to go through this sort of legal reasoning here because these are largely partisan decisions as I see them. We had Clarence Thomas intervening to issue a stay so that Lindsey Graham didn't have to testify in Georgia. Um, about the criminal investigation into Donald Trump, which is a rather puzzling ruling. Uh, We had a federal appeals court in the Eighth Circuit grant to stay, basically putting into jeopardy the student loan forgiveness for Biden. Uh, And then we had the Fifth Circuit rule the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau unconstitutional, all in one week. So it's important to underline that the federal judiciary is getting brazen here. And I'm wondering- Whether any like how how we can talk to voters and people in our lives about why the judiciary is important because Republicans are so good at it, where we seem to talk about it a lot less.
2: I think the reason that we do it so poorly is because we are so adamant about making the distinction between judicial decisions and legislative decisions, and the average person just doesn't care. At the end of the day, it's something the government did. And we don't have to explain how you know these judges get put in place and how it affects. We don't have to do that because it's true. Like who's in the Senate, who's in the White House? That's what predicts the outcome of who gets into these judicial positions. So why don't we just say, like, did you see this? Like, did you see that uh the student loan thing that the Republicans are trying to stop the student loan uh forgiveness from happening? Did you see that they're trying to get rid of the agency that keeps payday lenders from screwing you over? Like and then like if people have follow up questions, you may, like, yeah, well, those judges were put in place by Republicans, the Republicans in the Senate and in the House aren't doing anything to pass laws to stop those decisions from happening. Like you can get into the details if you want, but all you really got to do is lay the blame on them where it belongs. You can take a shortcut.
3: You know, one way to talk about Oz is like you could say all you want. You don't want a national ban on abortion, but you're confirming these judges. So unless you're ready to pledge that you'll only confirm judges that will uphold Roe versus Wade and reverse Dobbs, then everything else you say is dis- is a distraction.
2: Yeah. Or at a minimum that you're willing to pledge that you will only confirm judges who say that they would you know, not uphold a, a national ban on abortion passed by the Senate, right? Because there would be a lawsuit after that. So I, my point is like, there's no reason in the world to think of these things as separate. These were the outcomes that Republicans wanted. They put the pieces in place to get these outcomes, they should own these outcomes.
3: Yeah, it gets to the Senate, right? Why Why the Senate is so important. Like, Obviously the odds in the House are low. The Senate, if we can hold it, then Biden can continue to confirm his judges. And that would be huge. Another two years where we can confirm people to the federal bench, uh, hopefully more than two years. But at least another two years, you know, as we know from the Trump years, they stacked the judiciary in such a short period of time. And we have to be super aggressive if we are able to hold in confirming judges. And I would say, even if we don't hold the Senate, I'm hoping that we have a lame duck session. We Whatever is out there, it's got to be a huge priority.
0: I think that part of why this is challenging is that for a long time, the left really leaned on the judiciary as a way to like make forward progress or to move the country towards progress, and to now have what feels like a bit of a 180, to be like, just kidding, on the whole, the judiciary is holding us back or is moving in a way that is not aligned with the majority of Americans, feels, it feels abrupt, and it feels like an odd pivot to be like, this is the way, just kidding, no, it's not, and you should have never thought it was going to hold. Like, I remember Kate Kelly saying, like, we need to fall out of love with the Supreme Court. And there's something about that that I found helpful because it was at least acknowledging that, like, that love was at least at one point there. But, like, it's a process to move away from it. And so I sometimes I think that it's helpful, Jason, when you say, like, you just have to, like, put this on Republicans and, like, take the specificity out of it but i think that there there is a reason why it is like taking so long for us to kind of like get up to speed because i do think it's like a bit of a larger pivot in terms of a messaging shift because we have to use the same villain essentially or the same counterpart even though the mechanism is changed
2: it's a good point because the other piece of it is that you know we are we are the party that actually respects the institutions as they were set up uh, in, in our government. And we tend to. And so like our sort of instinct is to be like, well, you know, that's that's a separate branch. But as as was clear, like the way Ravi accurately introed this segment, when, when you said, you know, we're not going to get into the details of these, because these are basically just partisan decisions, and we have to treat them that way. But it it is difficult to do that, because we We're the ones who are like, well, you know, there's different branches and, you know, shit's not working anymore. Like, we got to talk about what's really happening. You know, which brings us to what President Biden has pretty well laid out as the closing argument uh, for the midterms, which is a very populist pitch in which he is really plainly just calling out Republicans, particularly on, you know, economic policies. Like, over the last couple of weeks, he's named Republican Congress members when talking about people who opposed student debt relief, but at the same time, you know, took these PPP loans. Like, he's he's giving the amounts. He's talking about who it was, it, which is not the kind of thing that Biden usually does. Uh, and he is clearly leaning in to these these populist arguments. That's very on brand. And it, that part is very, like, leaning into the economic populism. That's That's what Biden has always done. But I think... I think he's onto something, and I think it's it's potentially going to give us a closing message. Well, if you're listening to this show, you're likely already tuned in to current events and what's happening in the country and around the world. But have you ever thought about these issues and how they're being covered by the other side?
3: Well, Jason, I can't say I regularly tune into Fox News to hear what Tucker Carlson has to say, but it's interesting to think about the contrast between various outlets and how they report the same topics. Right?
2: That's why I'm such a big fan of our new sponsor, Ground News. Ground News is a website and app that lets you see how breaking news is covered across the political spectrum. With just a swipe or a click, you can quickly compare articles from thousands of publications around the world.
3: And for every story, you get a quick visual breakdown of which news outlets are reporting, their political bias, how reliable their reporting practices are, and who owns them.
2: You can also use the blind spot feature to see which stories are being heavily covered by only the left or the right. So if you typically read more left-leaning news, you can use the Ground News app to discover how key issues are being framed in many red states by right-leaning publications.
3: And during the midterm season, you can use Ground News to see how the right and the left are covering the elections and what coverage you might have missed.
2: It's a fantastic tool to expand your media diet and start to understand why we're so divided on so many issues and where we might be able to find some common ground. Go to ground.news m54 or click the link in the show notes to get 15% off any subscription for as little as $1 a month. That's ground.news m54.
3: I talk to a lot of people about fitness and nutrition and wellness. The number one step most important step is awareness, and that's why I like Everly Well. They have over 30 at home lab tests, and you'll be able to choose a test that makes sense for you. Uh, tests like women's health tests and food sensitivity tests. They also have high quality vitamins and supplements to support your overall health. And here's how it works they'll ship you products straight to you with everything you need in one package. And you could take your at-home lab test and collect your sample and use the prepaid shipping labels that they have to mail the test back to a certified lab. And you're going to get your results either by phone or to a device in just a matter of days. And you could share those results with your primary care physician to help guide your next steps. And it's really simple. Over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness, and you should too. For listeners of our show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of twenty. 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash majority54. That's everlywell.com slash majority54 for 20% off your next at-home lab test. That's everlywell.com slash majority54.
2: For or slash Road to the Midterms, uh, we have a segment that Grace has put together. So Grace, tell us about what we're about to listen to.
0: Yeah, I had a really lovely opportunity to speak with a Majority 54 listener, Justin Vogel. Justin's a teacher at Creekside High School in St. John's County outside of Jacksonville, Florida. And he uh, teaches AP Psych and academic research, but he also holds certificates in civics and history. He's just not actively teaching those subjects right now. But he reached out to us because he was invited to attend a Paid Professional Development Civics Seminar in Florida, which is great. We love paid professional development opportunities. Uh, it was put on by the Florida Department of Education, and it essentially included a lot of really fascinating propaganda that he found really alarming as an academic and especially someone who studies academic research. And so he has been sounding the alarm ever since about what Florida is trying to infuse into its civics education. And since I've been working so much on teaching Texas and following this topic as it relates to the state of Texas, I was also very interested to see how it's playing out in Florida. So here is my conversation with Justin. Okay, so you attend this conference, and you say you're shocked by what you find there. Can you detail for us what it is that you found?
1: Yeah, um, well, it was a single perspective. You know, the the, the academic researcher in me you know, I can spot bias, um, and this was clearly biased. Some breakout sessions were were more biased than others. Uh, the one on the Supreme Court, for example, I didn't detect a whole lot of bias, but in the one about Uh, religious liberty and uh, religious freedom and and the one about the one that about slavery was remarkable uh one of the things they kept saying was through the founder's eyes through the founders one of those phrases that was repeated a lot which is soon became code for originalism which is you know this idea that uh, the only way to look at history is the way that the the founders intended um the founders intent at the time which of course is a a difficult thing to do first of all it's it's flawed because not all the founders agreed how how do they all have a single perspective that's fundamentally flawed but the uh, breakout session that i just referred to had a map up on the screen and and uh, with with arrows coming out of africa and it said that the the presenter said that only four percent of the slave trade was coming to the americas during this time frame which of course begets the notion that that <laughs> Uh, or at least that doesn't acknowledge the, the idea that we were in America, were we're breeding slaves. You know, there, there was, okay, while you may have a fact there, it is, it is a single fact and you just cherry picked it. And that was, so I'm giving you that as an example to show you what, what they were doing. They were generalizing anecdotes. They were cherry picking facts. They were making arguments that were, Um, not balanced whatsoever. They were single perspective originalism. Even though they didn't use that term, they kept saying through the founder's eyes.
0: And what was the temperature like in the room as you're hearing this explained to you?
1: (laughs) By day two, the people that I sat with in the morning before the breakouts started, we'd all come to an agreement. And it was kind of one of those moments where you don't know if everybody's seeing this the same way, but then it became obvious that we were. They were combating perceived indoctrination with actual indoctrination. I mean, it was it's it's very hypocritical, but it was just so simplified. And history is com- complicated and very complex, and there are multiple ways to look at events. They were they were conflating interpretational facts with actual facts, and and it was just very it was very political. At one point, it became pretty obvious what they were doing because all the, the all the um, guest speakers were from conservative outlets and had they were clearly conservative. I mean, they almost tell you that they were. So um, anyway, they they cited sources from Ave Maria University from uh, the free books that they gave away were by conservative people, conservative academics that are cited often in in that world. So my point is that by day two, the people in my little area in the morning could tell what was going on. And I,
0: I guess I'm wondering if there was any sort of like why given like a reason for why the Florida Department of Education wanted to prioritize this
1: so this is some sort of backlash to the idea of wokeness so a lot of things are being conflated by uh, quite frankly non academics and uh, the the politicians in our state <laughs> are pretty good at delivering their message whether you believe them or not whether you, whether you're with them or not they're they're very effective and they use government as a tool and they're using education as a tool. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, But in, in many ways they were their their approach was sort of correcting what we have been teaching. You know, if you're teaching that there is racism embedded in institutions, that is incorrect. You know, uh, they're not just, they're not just promoting a perspective they're substituting it for reality. And instead of, you know, one single historical perspective, The idea that is was that in one case we were trying to be convinced that the founders were very much against slavery, you know. Now again, we're we're putting all the founders in one group with that statement, right? And they still own slaves. Like, why can't we acknowledge the conundrum or the complexity or the complication of of these things instead of just saying, "Well, they were against it." Look at what they wrote. Again, cherry picked evidence from letters that were written by Jefferson or whomever. But you know, if I have to say grace, I'm a gentleman, I promise. then I'm probably not, you know, I have to like act like one. So what would that make me if I speak out against slavery, but I own slaves? Wouldn't that make me like hypocritical? And isn't it okay for people 250 years later to look at that with some criticism, but they want this romanticized version of history that all the founders were like moral men and that those morals came from Protestant values and That the infusion of religious liberty was driven and should still be driven by Protestant values. That's what they're claiming in this, in these sessions, but we shouldn't be agreeing or disagreeing with historical perspectives. We should be teaching historical perspectives, you know, and that, and and that is multiple perspectives. So I worry about the weaponizing of education. I worry about um, emboldening people who are um, dismissing critical thinking and dismissing, uh, huge threads of academic research that have come from african american scholars and um and and others indigenous people like we, we should not be dismissive of new outlooks or new perspectives on historical events and that's what they're doing they don't like it it's a threat to their romanticized version uh, of of god inspired founding of this country and if i critique or criticize my country and its history, that does not mean I don't love it. I'm a military veteran. I I mean, I, I've been around the world and I came back and I thought, I love being an American. You know, this is great. But it doesn't mean that I'm just, you know, uh, that I can't speak up or, or be critical of our institutions or our history.
0: Is there any school board race near you that you're paying attention to?
1: Yeah, there's there's one in particular. Um, it's St. John's County. Uh, one of the moms for liberty sort of, I don't know if you, if that term means anything to you, but it's the DeSantis started backing people. And once they could put on their flyer or on their sign that they were endorsed by Governor Ron DeSantis, you knew kind of everything else you needed to know. And um, they don't know anything. We have this one race. The incumbent has 20, 20 years plus and she sits on committees on how to train other school board members. She's conservative, but hey, I can, that's fine. Makes the world go round. But the person that is is up against her and made it to the runoff, I guess, just moved here, has no experience in education, let alone public education. I don't know what you're doing. What makes somebody think that they don't they don't know anything about education and they're gonna run for school board? And then we live in a world where that person actually made it through the first round and into the runoff. If that person gets enough votes, We're um, we're in a rough place if that person can unseat a 20 plus year incumbent. And I think it's going to actually be close.
0: I really enjoyed getting to speak with Justin. He's a great example of one of our listeners grabbing an oar. I mean, he's done over 10 interviews now about this topic, ranging from like local media coverage to now nationwide. Um, And he's like really put himself out there and the issue's gotten a ton of coverage, which is great. So there's way more awareness now about what the Florida Department of Education is trying to push into classrooms. And I just want to underscore the school board race that he highlighted. So the race is in St. John's County. It's between Beverly Slough versus Rachel Hand. And Rachel Hand is the Moms for Liberty member. And um, as a grab an order to our listeners, in case you're not in St. John's County, is that Moms for Liberty is a pretty... um, Important group for us to be aware of. They've been really active in school board races across the country. I interviewed their co-founder, Tiffany Justice, for Teaching Texas. So if you're up to date, you have heard from her. And she is really coming to the world of education with a very specific lens um, and a really conservative one and one that is deeply um, troubling, I would say, for for many people. And so Moms for Liberty, they did get started in Florida, but they are now all across the country So a good way to know kind of what school board races in your area to pay attention to is to find their local chapter, because I bet they're nearby, and to make sure that the Moms for Liberty don't just run away with your school board.
2: I really liked this conversation And I actually think We should do more like this So give us a call Shoot us an email and Maybe we'll have you on So 508-687-2589 508-687-2589 It's uh, m54 at If you want to shoot us an email m54 at wondermedianetwork.com I'm at Jason Kander On Instagram and Twitter Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta On Twitter and Instagram Grace is at Grace Lynch 08 On Twitter And our show is at Majority 54 on Twitter, remember we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
3: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and ag Agbanile, and Sarah Schleed. The music is provided by kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana kander Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.